0: I'm Ryan Miller, Crops Extension Educator. Earlier this morning, we recorded an episode of the Strategic Farming Field Notes program. Strategic Farming Field Notes is a weekly program addressing current crop production topics. A live webinar is hosted at 8 a.m. on Wednesdays throughout the cropping season. During the live webinar, participants can join in the discussion and get questions answered. An audio recording of the live program is released following the webinar via podcast platforms. Thanks. And remember to tune in weekly for a discussion on current cropping and crop management topics. So these sessions are brought to you by University of Minnesota Extension, as well as generous support from the Minnesota Soybean Research and Promotion Council, as well as the Corn Growers Research and Promotion Council. I'm Anthony Hanson, Regional Extension Educator in Integrated Pest Management based down in Morris. And we also have Dave Nikolai, another Regional Extension crops Educator, hosted today. And we will would like to welcome two of our speakers today, Dr. Jeff Coulter, as well as Dr. Seth Nave, both extension agronomists and corn and soybeans respectively. And with that, I believe I'll turn it over to Dave Nicolai to head us off on what's going on in the corn world.
1: All right, thank you, Anthony. Uh, As we mentioned, one of our guests and panelists today is Dr. Jeff Coulter. He's a University of Minnesota extension uh, corn specialist And, uh, and Jeff, you know, every year is different in terms of, uh, crop production. Certainly that's the case again, uh, with corn across, uh, uh, Minnesota, uh, we had an interesting spring getting things, uh, planted, uh, basically pretty close on time, a little bit later than I think a lot of people, uh, would have liked to, but we've had some situations dealing with, uh, certainly moisture, uh, that have been more confounding this year, a string of high temperatures, uh, into the nineties and that type of thing. And this is the type of the year, time of the year, where we really talk about um, a little bit of what we might be through in terms of the year, but also kind of looking ahead to possible yield. <clears throat> and along with that, we have uh, different groups that are estimating yield out there. I know the, the Pro Farmer Crop Tour is coming up uh, this next week and they're gonna be looking at a number of fields, not just in Minnesota, but across to, uh, uh, the Midwest and getting a, a handle on there. Um, Certainly, uh, uh, there's a lot of things and components that go into yield and so forth. So, Jeff, you want to maybe give us a little bit of a view in the rearview mirror here, kind of where we've been and what are some of those components that are really critical um, to you know, com- compiling for yield? And and uh, maybe we can talk a little bit later, a little bit about estimation. So I'll turn it over to you, Jeff.
2: Yeah, thanks, Dave. Well, it's been an interesting year. And uh, one thing that I remember here is, you know, around July 20th or so, when a lot of the corn was starting to pollinate, we had pretty warm and dry conditions. And those lasted for a little while after that. So I think that had an impact on the success of pollination in some of the areas that were very dry. Uh, we may have had have some blank spots in the ears where the ovules were not fertilized. So there's no kernel there. Um, and then we had those dry conditions persist a little bit. So I think we had in some of the areas that were dry, we definitely had some uh, pullback on the tips of the ears and we lost lost some of those kernels that were set. Um, you know, and we've p- picked up some rainfall recently. I think that's, that's definitely helped us. Uh, it's going to help with the grain filling period, but um, I think it was maybe a little late uh, to save some of those kernels at the tips of the ears. So I think we may have lost a, a few more kernels than we would have liked, but you know now we got some rain and uh, it looks like there's some projected in the forecast here so i think we're going to have average to above average grain filling conditions uh, for a lot of areas Um, so that that should help us out a little bit Um, you know where we're at this growing season it seems like it varies based on where you're at in the state Uh, a lot of growers are telling me that they think their crops about five days behind normal um, but if we look at places like Lamberton, Minnesota, uh, they may be above normal in terms of growing degree day accumulations in, in crop development. You know, we had that stretch of hot weather there that really helped move the crop along.
1: I guess at this point, uh, uh, Jeff, if you look at the you know the weather forecast here for the balance of the month, <clears throat> it seems that, that we're going to be looking at maybe normal temperatures to, in some cases, maybe slightly below. Uh, uh, normal, I know, going into uh, in, into next week and so forth. Any, any thoughts about uh, uh, development? We were talking a little bit before we started the program here about uh, people are always thinking about, okay, making silage, but they're also thinking about grain in terms of black layer. But there's some rules of thumb here in terms of when our corn crop is at physiological maturity.
2: Yeah, typically about 60 days after silking is when we can expect that corn to be mature. So we're probably looking at uh, September 20 to 25 for black layer uh, to be present on the kernels. Um, you know, this weather conditions that we have now are, are really good for uh, helping to avoid or to help limit the water use by the crops. So it's slowing down the amount of water that the crops using. You know, it could maybe be a little more sunny and maybe a little warmer if we wanted to maximize photosynthesis. But I think at this time of year. I think our concern is just kind of about avoiding unnecessary stress on the corn, and these conditions are, are really good for grain filling. It's going to have minimal stress on the crop. So if we can extend these conditions, uh, that'll continue to result in minimal stress on the crop and help us to help us with the grain filling period. Potentially get uh, larger kernels if it, you know, But uh, if it remains cool like this, then we're definitely not going to want an early freeze in the fall.
1: I think uh, one of our co-workers uh, asked a question about if people didn't really uh, make adjustments on their maturities or planted late uh, because of this year, are, are we going to be in a situation perhaps where they might be uh, more subject to some uh, um, early our concerns about the frost and situations. And, that, and that'll vary, of course, if you're in a northwestern part of the state versus southern Minnesota.
2: Yeah, I don't think I would be overly concerned about it. And this is kind of a weird year in that the corn that was planted on time or early, uh, it went through a fair amount of stress around the pollination period and shortly after. And that corn that was planted later or was was silking later Um, that corn may actually turn out a little better in terms of uh, the number of kernels per acre that we have just because it it may have been pollinating when there were a little more cooler conditions and potentially a little better soil moisture. Uh,
1: Again, we remind you folks that are are listening, if you do have uh, questions, and uh, Anthony can help me monitor this too, but certainly put those into the uh, the other areas in terms of Questions that that do uh, do come up. Uh, we also were talking a little bit when we started, Jeff, about when yield is determined in terms of normal corn uh, development. I mean, we're to a point where obviously, you know, we we're, were not going to fill fill kernels, but uh, the number of kernels that are going to be out there and developed, and and uh, when when are some of those critical stages uh, in a corn crop?
2: Yeah, so the most important time in corn is basically from about mid-July through uh, mid-August. And then the second most important time is that the time that we're in now from about, uh, you know, mid-August uh, through mid-September. Uh, so, you know, up up through the milk or up through the milk stage, which is up through about now, uh, that that's when we can lose kernels on the ears. They can dry out. They can be lost if we have dry conditions Um, and then from from uh, now on through the end of the year that's when we're doing the grain filling and half of the grain filling in corn occurs uh, during the dent stage which is uh, in the starts in the later part of august and goes through september so uh at this point if we go out in the fields and start pulling years and looking at them we can get a real accurate estimate on the number of kernels that are out there because those aren't really gonna change after we move beyond the milk stage. But uh, the thing that we're unable to get a, a real solid estimate on is the kernel weight. And uh, I don't think people realize the importance of kernel weight in corn. Uh, it can also be referred to as kernel size. So under, under typical uh, conditions, average grain filling conditions, we can have about 80,000 kernels per bushel. But if it's a drought year, we may have 90,000 kernels per bushel just because the kernels are smaller. On the other hand, if it's a really good year for grain filling, we have sufficient moisture, sunlight, all that stuff, you know, and we get, we maybe get big kernels and we may have just 70,000 kernels per bushel. So, you know, if we have a range between 70,000 and 90,000 kernels per bushel that the, the difference there could, could cause a difference in yield of about, almost 60 bushels per acre. And that helps to explain some of the wide swings in yield that we've had uh, these past few years uh, based on the weather and those types of things.
1: In regards, so, oh, I was gonna say, and, and uh, maybe the, uh, going back to this yield component, uh, one of the things that we do talk about is going out and estimating yield early and that is one of the problems, I think, Jeff, that you alluded to. And, and that is, we don't know the kernel size. A lot of these formulas are based upon uh, kernel weight, number of kernels per bushel, et cetera. Uh, but I think therein lies the rub of, of uh, maybe in some cases overestimating.
2: Yeah, we can get real accurate estimates on number of uh, kernels per acre. Um, the But kernels per bushel, we're just kind of guessing based on what the soil conditions are like, how much soil moisture we have and what the projected grain filling conditions are going to be. But it seems like this year we're going to have average grain filling conditions to potentially above average grain filling conditions if it remains cool and moist.
1: So you would look for test weight theoretically to to, uh, be uh, optimal or a little bit better, obviously not a, a situation where it's going to be really low? Correct. Okay. Well, I know that there's some DTN platforms and other people out there doing digital. One of them had us pegged in Minnesota at 173 bushel per acre corn, uh, but that's based upon you know a number of, of situations in terms of um, uh, whether it's satellite or other observations that, that, that come in. I uh, will learn uh, a, a little bit more, but uh, uh, it, it might be in that ballpark. But Jeff, I don't know if you, you know, I, I don't want to guess. I don't think you do either necessarily.
2: Yeah, I guess you know I would say that a lot of growers are going to experience average to above average yields, but there are definitely those places uh, where it's going to be a little lower than average due to the drier conditions, and the growers know that.
1: Uh, there's a, a comment in here, Dennis Toddy, who was our meteorologist uh, that we often talk to uh, uh, USDA at Iowa. I think posted in the in the chat box, Anthony. Um, some information in here you might uh, well we'll talk a little bit about that, but it's a growing degree day uh, that you can go by location and it's listed in there in the chat. And there's a link in that. It gives you a projected black, uh, black layer date. Um, but it, there's a lot of uh, other input and historical things. And I, I think you've seen this too before Jeff, but it's just one other, one other tool. Um, but it's still hosted at Purdue at this point in time. So, um, that would be, uh, out there, uh, as well. Any other, uh, Comments, uh, Anthony, from your standpoint for uh, Jeff before you go back and switch over with the talking with Seth a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think one of the main questions, and this can apply to Seth later too, is you know thinking about what's our frost risk coming up here. Um, you know, it's obviously not something that's easy to predict, but what kind of windows are we potentially working with here in terms of if we have a earlier frost, how's the crop going to look versus kind of when are we you know relatively safe in terms of development.
2: Yeah, well, uh, you know, once we get uh, half milk stage and beyond, the uh, the effect on yield is going to be pretty small. Overall, I'm not too worried about uh, you know frost for corn this year. Um, I think I think we're going to be okay for the most part.
1: Was one comment uh, from a, a listener notice that kernel length is around 35? Um, you know, we're talking on on a row. You just commented there. Have you noticed that or? look
2: much in, at uh, some other ears out there jeff yeah that's about average so uh, that that's good that's not too bad
1: yeah. seth um we uh we planted these soybeans a little on the late side i think in across minnesota uh a little bit later than we normally would would like to uh we had some hot temperatures uh things seem to be i know earlier a little slow moving from r2 to uh Uh, to r3 and in terms of the soybean development uh but a little cooler we've got a little rain are we are we going to catch up or do we need uh the rest of the month uh to to have some benefit here
3: well i guess we start with the old adage right that august and september make beans and i think that's uh, gonna it's the case it's always been the case it will be continue to be the case so Um, this weather that we're having right now is really impactful. Of course, the rain rainfall is the most important piece of this, where we were really short, um, moving into this period. And we kind of had a little bit of a shift in some of our, um, weather patterns it seems. So we have a little bit better chance of rain, even, uh, the next few days. That's really, I mean, that's, that's the money right there. And that's, what's, what's going to give us good yields. So, uh, hopefully, hopefully things come through and we can continue to get rain. Uh, we don't, You know soil moistures are pretty short so we're going to be dependent on some timely rains all the way through so it really is anybody's guess what happens at this point um you know the weather forecast is going to tell us a little bit about what what's going to happen out there but where those rains hit and not is going to affect individual farmers and then collectively that'll that'll pool up to um you know to the state average um, I want to make a couple points about um, soybean broadly, I think rem- remind folks some of the differences with soybean and corn rem- remind them that, you know, the, the soybean crop is going to get pushed to push to maturity so we're not on a really on a heat unit uh, schedule like with corn. So when we plant late, it kind of squeezes us a little bit our vegetative period is shortened a little bit. Um, and then, or shortened quite a lot. And then, uh, reproduction can be shortened a little bit. Um, so what that means is basically we don't have as much time to build a big machine out there. That's what I'd call that crop canopy, more leaves, more leaf area, more light collected, more energy stored in the leaves and nitrogen stored in the leaves that they mobilize to the seed later. So, um, we just don't have quite the big machine built this year that we might normally have. um, and, and honestly, sometimes that's really critical for yield and sometimes it's not so critical. And farmers know this from the, the combine, they, they've harvested two foot tall soybeans that have yielded 60 bushels and they've harvested five foot tall soybeans that have gone 35. And, and so you don't necessarily have to have that big machine, but it is there um, to provide us some buffer. Uh, and it also gives us a little bit of a, of a downside if we, if, if we don't have the canopy there, Um, we definitely limit the top yield potential. It's, you know, we can have two foot tall soybeans that go 60, but they're not going to go 80. So, um, and I think that's part of what the crop tour is getting at when they're, when they're out looking around and looking for variability and things. The other thing from a timely standpoint, I think it's really, uh, it's an interesting period to be on uh, the webinar is because for the most part, most of our soybeans are kind of entering what I call this kind of really important period is uh, it's, R5.5, honestly, and it's halfway between R5 and R6. But in the soybean crop, it's really interesting because if, if farmers go out and look in the fields, they'll notice this kind of at the very top of the plant, they'll see this little apical raceme up there. It'll be a couple tiny little leaves and maybe some flowers clustered at the top. And that's basically like the tassel on corn. It's showing us that it's the soybean plant is done growing vegetatively. And right now, the soybean is has virtually no seed. You could go out and if if we collected the seed from an acre and and dried it all down, there would just be a few pounds. Uh, so right at this point, even though those you see some big lima beans down in the in the in the um, in the canopy, there's really nothing there in terms of dry weight. But and. Because up until this point, the soybean's still been growing leaves. Now it just switches over. So there's no new leaves being produced from now on. We're stuck with that canopy. That's why we're really sensitive to things like hail or anything like that, because that'll take those things out. We don't have the capacity to regrow any leaves. But that also gives us this time when the soybean starts making the seed. And so that's why the weather right now has such a huge impact on on the, um, the yields. So the questions about pod number and things, yes, pod numbers are important, and for those yield enumerators that are coming around, they're they're looking for pod numbers. I would say those are less useful for determining the um, you know the maximum yields or the the high yields, but they're really good at at identifying problem spots. Um, so although there's a lot of discussion about individual field yields and, and high pod numbers and individual field numbers, I think that the yield um, folks that are out doing crop tours are really good at identifying low, poor yielding areas and then, and then pooling that or aggregating that together to determine how much some of that, those low yielding areas are going to affect overall yields you know, and and soybeans is like Jeff mentioned, and as in corn, uh, where the seed size is really the driver, it's even more so in soybeans. Uh, Seed size has huge flexibility. um, And the crop just with limited pod set, a soybean crop can come on if we have perfect weather from now on and just produce giant marble sized seeds. Um, And we can get tremendous yields even from a really limited pod set if we have perfect uh, environments going forward. So the yield guys basically are, are counting pods and then they they're they're guessing is it'll are they gonna have are we gonna have low medium or large seeds and so they're looking at the weather forecast for the most part and making some guesses about that and that's where all the yield flex comes in this in this equation is that seed size that's where that's where we're they're having an impact on that 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 average number is by that seed size and that's that's the the guesstimate so um you know there's a lot of there's a lot of guessing going on and honestly when they go into these fields a lot of farmers know what a good soybean crop looks like it's it's tall it's dark green it's it's even throughout and there's not any any thin spots we've had good canopy closure for a long period of time there's not a bunch of weeds poking up through the crop that demonstrate that we didn't have good canopy closure so i think that's what's really driving those numbers so anyway a lot a lot there i'm sorry to ramble on so long
1: no, that's fine if you factor in the projected you know possibility of rainfall this week and if we are trending at that normal or like we talked a little earlier off the air but slightly you know below normal temperatures we've got a couple of days where i think we're just going to barely hit 70 next week what kind of impact might that have on on um soybean seed development seed size if we, um, uh, if we're not exceptionally warm at at this point in time, are are things going to be extended out, Seth?
3: It won't really extend things on too much. It might a little bit. Uh, Soybean, I I think just like Jeff said, uh, where we're dry, that's going to be helpful because it's just going to, it's going to keep us from burning, ripping through so much water. Um, But where we have good rainfall, if you're in Southeast or places like that, that are, are, have abundant rainfall, then um, then those, those cool days are really not good at all for soybeans, not from the day standpoint, but from the, from the night standpoint, soybeans do not like cold nights. It's not that that injures them, but there's a lot of respiration going on at night. And that's where basically it's using up all the starches stored in the leaves during the day. And then that moves it into the seed. So that's really the time when a lot of activity happens in the, in the crop And if we get down too cool, if we get in those low 50s and and below at night, soybean really slows up at night. And so then it has all the starch remaining that it can't deal with during the night. The sun comes up the next day. We could have a perfect day, but the soybean can't store any additional energy from that light energy that next day because it's already full of starch, basically. So what happens is we have a, a kind of a lost day. Um, so, and at this time of year, we can't, we can't afford to lose any days. And I think honestly, that's what limits. Uh, it's not talked about as much as I think that, or I think we just don't think about those cool nights as much as, 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 um, they really are relatively important for us in the upper Midwest. And this is why we're not getting Iowa, Illinois, Indiana yields in a lot of cases is because we have too frequently, we have these really cool nights towards the end. And then as we get a little bit further down the road, those cool nights drive us towards maturity. So they actually do the opposite, Dave. They're actually pushing on that soybean. They're basically giving a cue to that soybean that, hey, you need to wrap things up. Uh, Fall's coming, frost is coming. And those those, uh, cool nights can actually hasten maturity and push things along that limits seed fill period. And then that's another nick in this whole yield thing is, is is it reduces our number of days of seed filling.
1: Well, cer- so, certainly for, for both corn and soybeans, you know, our days are getting shorter uh, and it's going to lend obviously if we have cooler temperatures longer in that period, but we've already seen that. We've seen, you know, mornings of fog and dew and, and so forth, but uh, typically uh, that's the case. I know, you know, where sun is going down or, you know, earlier, earlier and earlier. So, um, so it's kind of a race is what you're saying, Seth, here going, mm-hmm. uh, going forward. I know that the, just the, uh, the digital platform that we talked about earlier—they had us pegged in the in the mid 40s for for a statewide average. But again, uh, you know, that's a guesstimate based on you know a number of other factors outside of actually going out in the field. Seth.
3: Yeah, and but I mean, if you think about, if you thought of if 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 that was just NDVI readings from how from you know remote sensing of of soybean canopy, we all have seen that crop just did not fill the rows this year. We had shorter soybeans, we were delayed. So it makes a lot of sense that those, that imagery is, is, is redu- you know, has us down a little bit. And so I think <laughs> I'm probably guilty as anybody is looking at these fields now and thinking, boy, things are really good. It looks good. The rows are closed. Everything's good. But, you know, I, they, they are picking up on something. I think that's important that we did miss out on some light capture early in the season and, and back to what you're saying with long days. The problem that we had in soybean this year is we had those really nice long days and good temperatures, and then we didn't have the rows closed uh, to capture that light energy. We were wasting a lot of it with it striking the dirt, the soil, and so um, you know we just didn't have the ability to to utilize that more or more efficiently uh, that we would in some years where we had good early planting and good early season growth.
0: Anthony. Yeah, so Seth, uh, earlier I mentioned just kind of what the market's been doing lately. You know, we hear one day soybeans are up 50 cents and a couple of days later they're down 50 cents. So uh, kind of this question of how we estimate yield, do you think it is mostly the moisture question uh, for weather patterns that's been driving that? Or is it also, like you mentioned, temperature, any other things that relate to yield? Um, you know, what are kind of your major drivers you're seeing right now that um, kind of in summary that you think would be, attributing to how crazy the markets have been this last week or two.
3: Well, I, I tend to think that a lot of us that are in agriculture think about weather and the crop and think that we're really involved with the, you know, driving the, the market, but the market's the market and a lot of it is related to things completely unrelated to actual production of the crop. Uh, demand side and geopolitics and uh, dollar value and uh, all the other stuff. Um, uh, this is, <laughs> I think, I think we've really learned that that, um, um, that it's pretty hard to guess the market based on the crop conditions and and it seems like there's a lot of other stuff going on. So, um, but certainly we have to have the beans to be able to to sell and so um, uh, and when when we do have. Um, you know an environment a global environment where all of our corn and soybeans gets used every year uh, we have these low carryouts production is important um, but it's really I think it's around the edges so um I'm kind of hedging on on that a little bit um uh, or a lot um but certainly there are there there are uh, traders that are very interested in knowing what the what the weather is if not the weather itself and what production will do but what other traders are going to do with that information? So, anyway, um, so we have
1: one quick question, and then we're going to go back to Jeff. But for Seth, the, this came in. Um, I, well, I guess you have to a- answer, but I'll I'll, I'll go on with it anyhow. Uh, is this a better year for uh, narrow rows?
3: I would, you know, this year. I was just thinking that as I was, as I was rolling through it, I think we should see really big benefits from narrow rows this year. I mean, you could have. Literally ten bushel yields um, advantages in narrow rows this year. I think it it, it definitely could be the case this year, um, and there's also a water savings um, aspect to it too. Some of the some of the narrow rows actually can save us some water, um, more better utilize some of the water. So how the row spacing works with with water on on the, the landscape is probably an important piece too. But light capture for sure, I think it was a big deal. Swinging
1: so yes. back to uh, Jeff, uh, any other comments on corn here uh, going going forward um, in in terms of that things that growers might have done to to put themselves in a better position, or are we back to the tried and true uh, best management practices? I guess given this year.
2: Yeah, um, well, it started out kind of shaky. You know, the planting season uh, got a little later than we would like. Especially in some areas, but it seemed like we caught up pretty good, and then maybe got ahead of schedule. And then we had those dry weathers, that dry weather around uh, pollination, which didn't help us. But you know, now these cool temperatures that we have with some rain, this is helping the grain filling period in corn. So um, yeah, I, I think uh, even though even though we're kind of set already on how many kernels we have, we still got a, a big opportunity to to swing the yield. Uh, higher if we continue to maintain uh, sufficient moisture through the rest of the grain filling period.
1: Certainly, people that are irrigating had you know more control, Jeff, of of uh, some of that situation being timely. And I think uh, you know going forward. But we we still don't have that many acres that are irrigated in Minnesota. A lot of it's going to be rain fed and going uh, going forward with that. Um, Anthony, I don't know if you have any other comments or any other questions that came in?
0: Yeah, I think we are good for questions and it's about time to wrap up here too, it looks like. Uh, I guess last note I'll throw in too, we were talking a little bit earlier about what's going on with soybean aphid and uh, we had our previous sessions too. So that's one where that season should be wrapping up pretty soon as those aphids start to leave to buckthorn. So I know folks have been out there scouting and even if you got a hundred aphids right now, there's there's a chance that you uh, may not have an issue by the time uh, your soybeans start maturing and they're leaving for the buckworm.
1: There's so there's what, also uh, the beneficials out there. Uh, you, you want to keep those out there, not take them out with an insecticide, obviously, Anthony, at this point in time. So what, you're still at that 250?
0: Yep. Um, and also we're insecticide resistance too. If we can uh, draw back on our insecticide use when we don't have to use it, that just makes the tool last a little bit longer. Kind of like running a tractor that just likes to burn through oil. That's one of those for insecticides. Um, You know, we we can lose them pretty quick and once they're burnt out, uh, we have resistance, they're not coming back. Otherwise, I think that covers it for today's session. I want to thank everyone again for attending today's Strategic Farming Field Notes and Dave Nicolai for hosting as well. And Dr. Seth Nave and Jeff Coulter for discussing yield and soybeans and corn.